Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Welcome to Heat Check. I'm your host, John Gonzalez in Toronto, joined as I am every week by my producer, Isaac Lee, back in LA. We've got instant game one reaction uh, from the NBA Finals. Isaac, the Toronto Raptors. T-Dot, they did it. (laughs) They did it. It's all over. I think the Raptors in one. Uh, championship congratulations. Now, it feels like that here in Toronto, and we're going to get into that in just a second. Dan Devine is going to join us shortly. Dan has uh, been out here in Toronto with me, and he'll he'll be covering the series through when it shifts to the Bay Area. But it really did feel like this momentous occasion in Toronto. Like, it was a party citywide. It was a party at the game. Yeah, here's some, like, fireworks going off in the background here. It sounds like a very festive environment in the city. It's really late over there. It is a festive environment, and it is very late, but we're we're going to bring Dan in, but we wanted to mention that we're going to have heat check after every game during the finals, so we're still going to have the mismatch and corner three and group chat, but heat check will be on after every game with Dan and I, and then maybe KOC when, when the series shifts to the Bay Area, but, but look for that in your feed, and also, of course, check out all of our stuff on TheRinger.com, but Let's get right into it. What a hell of a game for the Toronto Raptors. Not such a great game for the Golden State Warriors. Let's bring in Dan Devine. Boom, shakalaka. He's heating up. He's on fire. All right. I'm joined by Dan Devine in my hotel room. Our hotel room, really. They, the ringer put us up basically uh, in bunk beds. We've been making <laughs> forts out of the pillows. It's been a grand time. This is how we became best friends. It was pretty amazing. Best buddies just came off of game one. We saw the Toronto Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors 118-109. And you and I had very different experiences tonight right. uh, from this game. But we're going to start out with yours and uh, being in the arena watching this game that was really the Pascal Siakam game. We, we've seen during the playoffs, like early in the playoffs, Pascal Siakam was very good. And then there were moments against the Sixers where he was alternately good and then invisible. And now tonight we got really good Pascal Siakam again. Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the last two rounds, he'd really been taken out of his game. First in Philly, it was uh, switching Joel Embiid onto him and, you know, making him someone who has to take open threes that he might not be so comfortable taking from, you know, above the break as opposed to the corners, kind of flustered his rhythms. You know, Embiid's great at protecting the rim, so then Siakam would have to drive into him and eat up all the space, and it was a, a sort of a tough matchup for him. Last round against Milwaukee, it's Giannis Adetokounmpo, and then they had Brook Lopez on him for the same kind of help off, protect the rim kind of thing. So there was a question of like, is how is he going to get his rhythm back? He's been fits and startsy for two rounds. How's he going to get it back? Especially if they decide to put Draymond Green on him because Draymond can do the same things. Sag off, protect the rim, muck everything up. And the answer was Siakam just drove the ball right down his throat. Yeah. Like every time he got a chance on the catch, when he had an open uh, an open look, you know, he started to step into it with confidence. And then when he got the ball with uh, you know some space that he could drive into, he took the ball straight at the rim and quick attacks uh, when he got at the ball in the post, quick attacks in transition, everything he did, he was a missile straight at the basket. 
And the results were absolutely phenomenal. 32 points on 14 for 17 shooting. Yeah. If you have your, sort of your number two option shooting 82% from the floor, pretty good. Pretty good offensive game. Well, this is what we talked about. You and I sort of kicking around Toronto in these last couple of days. We're like, okay, well, you know essentially what you're going to get from Kawhi. But with these supporting cast members, you really haven't had anything like approaching consistency. Right. Right. Like they've all had like, Moments like Lowry's had a couple of games where he's been good. And then early in the playoffs, there was games when he wasn't. Right. Fred Van Fleet was horrendous. And then all of a sudden went supernova and yeah. couldn't miss a three against the Bucks. And then, you know, again, Siakam, who, as you mentioned, 32 points on 17 shots. He makes 14 of them. He was just so efficient tonight. And he hit the boards. He played good defense. And on a night when, and I'm saying this in air quotes, not the best Kawhi Leonard night. Right. And still he ends up with 23 points and uh, gets to the line 12 times. And like, like for any other normal human would have been a good night. Right. And I think with Kawhi too, the thing that, you know, not that you're looking for gray clouds inside of a silver lining after a game one win, if you're Toronto, but Kawhi looked more hampered tonight than he did at the end of the Milwaukee series. And I think that's a, maybe a little bit of a cause for concern, you know, is, you know, the, the leg issues that he's been having, have those sapped something from him overall. But the really, really heartening news is he's still drawing a ton of defensive attention. You know, at times it was, you know, the Warriors throwing three bodies at him, you know, two off the catch and then one as a helper behind. And so all of that attention is going to lead to open opportunities for his teammates. And he kept making those passes. A couple of sort of uh, errant throws under duress in the first half, but generally made the right pass, made the kick out, swing, swing, find an open shot. And this is exactly what the Raptors have to have if they're going to win this series. You need Marcus Gasol to confidently take those shots. You need Siakam to take those shots and attack off the dribble to beat a closeout. You need Danny Green to make some of those open corner threes that he's been getting all playoffs long. And so you get some of those shots to go down early. Everybody's confidence improves. Everybody feels a little bit more like they've got a hold of the game. And then you get the sort of things cranked up on both ends. And I mean, that was the story for the Raptors tonight. Even if Kawhi isn't looking like the best player in the postseason as he has for the last you know several weeks, Everybody else is capable of handling more. And, you know, you see what happens when Toronto gets those sorts of performances. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Kawhi, like when they were just sort of throwing everything at him and him being able to make the pass and find the open guy. And then like it brings confidence to the supporting cast. KOC has made this point several times on the mismatch that Kawhi isn't a great passer, but he's a good and willing passer. Yep. And when he's thinking that way, if they're going to, you know, blitz him and trap him and double him and and just throw everything they can at him and he can find those open guys and those open guys do hit those shots. That's all the better for the Raptors. And you mentioned a couple of those guys, one of whom was Marcus Gasol, who had 20 points and seven rebounds and then eventually fouled out. He got to the line six times and made all six, but he was willing to take those shots tonight. And I thought it was like a pretty good Marcus Gasol game, like maybe one of the better ones we've seen in the playoffs. Absolutely. And I think the maybe even more encouraging, because we've, we've seen him have nights in the playoffs where he is aggressive. He is looking to take those shots. It's not all the time because that's not generally how he's wired. He's always the make the extra pass guy, but we've seen him do that. I think the most encouraging thing if you're a Raptors fan is defensively, he was excellent and he was excellent in space. He was excellent being up on pick and rolls. When Steph Curry or Klay Thompson is coming around the screen off the catch, he's there with his hands up, plugging up passing lanes. He's moving his feet, 
busting up the rhythm of plays, not just getting dusted off the bounce. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to stay on the floor defensively, and, and not, not even just stay on the floor, but make an impact defensively in getting Golden State out of its rhythm, then it allows him to stay on the court and be an offensive force when he's able to make those shots, make the extra passes from the high post, keep the ball moving around the perimeter. Like There were a lot of possessions tonight where the Warriors were rotating well and the Warriors were getting into passing lanes and making things tough on the Raptors. But the more smart ball movers you have on the floor, the better your odds are of beating those rotations that the Warriors make. And Gasol is such an important part of that for them. The, I believe that it was after the, the he came over at the trades end line, they were up in the top three or four in assist rate. A stark difference from what the style of, the, of offense they played before he got there. The way that they can swing the ball and the way that everybody can sort of see the next pass, he elevates that so much. So if he's out there defending really well and taking the shots, everything else sort of seems to flow together. And when he's able to impact the game positively on both ends of the floor, Toronto's ceiling elevates to a really high level. This felt like more of the Raptors team that we saw during the regular season, which was like totally. my, my thing was I felt like their depth was such a strength. I mean, you know, in the playoffs, your bench ends up getting shorter. Your rotations sure. end up getting shorter. You're only unless you're play. the Warriors, in um, which case. Unless you're the Warriors. But there were times during the postseason, especially against the Sixers, where I thought, oh, man, that strength that I thought was a strength is not a strength. And tonight, it, it very much was. You, you mentioned all these contributions. Nurse went heavy with his starting five. Everybody played more than 30 minutes. Lowry played 36. And Leonard and Siakam played more than 40 each. But another guy that I want to mention is Fred Van Fleet, mm-hmm. who played 33 minutes and he hit another three ball, which this time was one of the most ridiculous threes <laughs> I've ever seen. It might have been more ridiculous than Kawhi's game seven winner against the Sixers, the four bounce one. This one, he hoisted up. It was a two because they reviewed it and it, it was a two, but it bounced off the glass, rimmed around, looked like it was going to pop out and then somehow fell through. Uh, Fred Van Bleed back? Yeah, that was, I mean, the note that I took on that, I believe, was just like, if FVV hits that, not your night, Warriors, LOL. <laughs> and so, like, there's, I mean, yes. it's crazy. And, and, you know, it is certainly the greatest argument for uh, family planning and for ensuring that you, that you are going to have your child in the middle of the postseason because – this has clearly kicked him into a new level. Whatever his slump his slump was like before, having a new baby and all of a sudden you're going to make every shot you throw up. Um, I think was he five of eight tonight. And what was what was good, really good with him is uh, is not just obviously when you have the uh, you know the God smile upon you with some of the shots you make that are rolling in. He was really decisive off the catch too, and he was attacking mm-hmm. downhill. So he had the uh, a lot of times in the, the sort of the beginning of the second quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, he's on the floor against those Demarcus Cousins lineups, against the bench lineups where there's maybe some questions about how are they going to defend in space, how are they going to be able to handle the smaller guards and the quicker guards. And he went right at Boogie. He went right at the rim, finishing through contact, getting into the paint and kicking out. Really just strong backup point guard play. And it was this is the guy he was all of last year when mm-hmm. you know and on the way to becoming a six man of the year finalist. And then this year has had some more uh, ups and downs. But we mentioned this so like if you're getting the A games of these sort of complementary pieces, it makes everything else easier and it puts so much more pressure on Golden State, which without Kevin Durant is finding itself sort of in the crunch of not really having quite as many answers as they normally do. Yeah, Van Vliet plus eleven tonight. Another good game for him. Uh, our guy, Shea Serrano, tweeted out that uh, his baby was going to be finals MVP. Uh, so the baby got a lot of love. You and I did not get as much love. Yeah. not. What did he tweet out? You told me he said he tweeted that uh, he saw the video of that you and I did pregame. And you were wearing a very nice suit. 
And I Thank had you, on Gons. one of my finest uh, sweater cardigan vests, uh, <laughs> which had beautiful elbow patches on it. And I got a uh, substitute teacher. Yeah, here's what this jerk said. He said, this, <laughs> this new sitcom about a substitute teacher and a personal injury lawyer looks good, is what Shay said about me and you. And it would have been a buddy cop crime drama, first of all. First of all. First of all. And frankly, I was a little bit insulted because the last time Shay made fun of a picture of me, he called me a teacher and said that I looked like the kind of teacher that would try to teach you that Shakespeare was the first rapper. So now I am not even a teacher anymore. Now I'm a personal injury lawyer. I'm like Jimmy McGill over here, scraping by. Although that's not bad. I, Better Call Saul is pretty great. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Golden State Warriors. The Raptors, it obviously, was their night. It was Toronto's night. And I want to talk about Toronto, the city, in just a second. But Golden State Warriors... Completely panicked, right? They're going to get swept and they're going to, they've never been in a situation like this. They're terrified. Yep. Yeah, they're all, it's all over. This is, I think, the I saw this number maybe from ESPN Stats and Info that was, this is the fifth time under Kerr that they've trailed in a series and they've won the first four. Um, sure. So, I mean, it's, yeah, not exactly panic time, but there are definitely reasons for concern. You know, you get max minutes from Steph and Clay and Draymond, you know, 40 apiece or, or 39 for Clay. And most of the lion's share of their production coming from those guys, 34 for Steph. And a lot of that was like sort of hard engine room work, especially in the second half. You kind of got the feeling like he sensed or he understood how much he had to generate. So he's going to the line, he's hunting contact. And that leads to some of those weird like pull up off the screen and then like shove your body into the guy and hope for a foul call to get you get into the line because you, you just need the points any way you can get them. In part because Toronto was doing a great job of keeping the Warriors out of transition, getting back and, you know, really limiting their easy looks. And so then everything gets harder. And this, again, you know, not to harp too much on the Durant thing, but like this is where somebody else who can create an easy shot is so valuable because a lot of times with Steph and Clay, you feel the sweat of labor in it. There's so much running off off ball screens. Everybody else has to be in tune and, you know, bumping the guy off the cutter and all those sorts of things to create space for them. And that makes everything hard. Everything is much more congested. So if you're not finding other areas for easy buckets, that defense is really good over there. And that can lock in. They can take away some of the, your pet things and the things you like to do. And the result is if you're not getting sort of like magic Steph games, it could be some tough sledding. Even with that said, though, it you know, it was were, a really good Steph game. It was though. a really like, get to the line 14 times. Well, that's and he made thing. all 14. Well, that's the thing. I saw somebody, you know, I've seen some people sort of saying, you know, yeah, but it's like a quiet 34. I was like, I, I don't know, man. It, it felt watching him to me like he was sort of ever present with it. It was a rough start. I think he was three for his first 10, mm -hmm. but he just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept putting pressure on the defense. As did they, as did the Warriors. Like, so my assignment, a little bit different than yours, I was out with the Maniacs in Jurassic Park <laughs> and they wanted to get super rowdy, right? Like yep. the, the Van Fleet two ball that banked off the glass. Like they wanted to get moving or a Danny Green corner three. And every time you felt like they were really gaining that momentum or that it was like they were putting this game away, it was completely over. Steph would hit a shot and quiet everybody down. Or Iggy would make a, a steal and get a breakaway layup. And it was like, it felt like the Warriors did that we're still coming thing pretty much almost to the very end of the game. And that's why like, I felt like, I don't know how it was in the arena, but outside among like the crowd, it felt tense for a game that they controlled almost the whole way. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think because there were there were definitely moments where the Raptors were one shot away from losing the lead. You know, it, it, throughout most of the first half, it sort of felt like they should be up by more. And then they go into half up double digits. But you sort of forget like, like the Warriors aren't playing all that well. And they're still within hailing distance here. They're three, maybe two or three shots away. It was 90-87 after Cousins split a pair of free throws about two or three minutes into the, the fourth quarter. And then the, the offense just completely stalled out and they didn't, they did not get another point until 
the 8-11 mark. And at that point, they're down 10. So it's like there were a couple of opportunities where they really could have cut it down, pushed it, and then they just sort of sputtered out offensively. But a lot of that is credit to the Raptors. You know, when they needed to crank things up defensively, they were able to do it. When they needed to get out on a run, they were able to do that. The transition game really favored them. I didn't think the Warriors were like especially sloppy and careless with the ball, but 17 turnovers doesn't lie. Right. Um, you know, Steve Kerr said after the game, like basically our transition defense sucked and we threw the ball away. And like, that's the game. You can't do that against a team this good. And the reality is like the Raptors are this good. They're, it's not just that they got like uh, 99th percentile performances from a lot of their guys. It's like, there's a lot of guys who can perform like that. So the Warriors, their problem has always been, you know, the easiest way for them to lose is for them to beat themselves. And they certainly didn't do themselves any favors tonight, but Toronto deserved that win. Toronto earned that. It wasn't that the Warriors gave it to them. All right, before we continue, let's just take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of Heat Check is brought to you by Helix Sleep. There's nobody on the planet like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, you like a plush or firm bed, with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep was even awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine, and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash ringer, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And for couples, Helix can even split the mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash ringer. That's helixsleep.com slash ringer for up to $125 off your mattress order. Today's heat check is also brought to you by Capital One. With the Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now, when you go out, you can cash in. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. And now, back to Heat Check. If you're the Warriors, like... And on a night when maybe, okay, fine, like maybe it wasn't like a supernova Steph game, but it was still a good Steph game. But they had some problems scoring otherwise. And like you said, they didn't take care of the ball. It wasn't particularly like their best performance, their sharpest performance. Mm -hmm. And yet there were moments when it looked like you were going to climb back into the game and you only lose by nine on the road. Like there are some encouraging signs here. I mean, Draymond had a triple-double. Right. Like out of nowhere. I think the the thing that would worry me most, we don't want to speculate too much on what it looked like, but the fact that Andre Iguodala came up kind of limping at the end of the game, it looked yeah. like there was something up with his hamstring right away as soon as he landed. A, uh, I forget the exact like timestamp of it, but he came down and right away he knew. And he was like, you could see him grimacing, like, you know, looking uncomfortable. And they send, you know, I think Alfonso McKinney goes into the game with like a minute and a half left on a defensive possession because Iguodala needed a second. And so after the game, Kerr says, you know, I think he's fine. We'll, you know, take a look at it tomorrow. Uh, Iguodala said after the game, you know, I'll I'll be fine. Like I'm not missing game two. But if he's limited, he's A, your number one primary defender on, yep. on Kawhi Leonard. And B, he's a guy that 
you know, we talked about the, those sort of swings and those opportunities where it's like you get him the shot in the corner. And some of the, like, he had a few of those tonight where he gets, the, you know, all the attention that Steph is, is drawing on the other side of the floor. Clay is drawing on the other side of the floor. Ball swings to him in the corner. He's got to make some of those, just like Danny Green had to make them for Toronto to, to build their lead. He's got to make those to knock down the lead or to, or to sort of deflate Toronto. He didn't get those to go tonight. And if he's hampered, if he's limited, even maybe harder for him to get those down while also having a harder time guarding Kawhi. So, and then we talk about, you know, sort of the Warriors as a strength in numbers team. You know, they played 11 or 12 guys tonight. It's but, insane. But, I mean, how much quality is there in that depth at the at the, the highest level? Like, if he can't go, then you need, like, an A-plus game from Alfonso McKinney. You yeah. need more. Sean Livingston. Yeah, you need, you need much more out of Sean Livingston. You need much more out of Jonas Jarebko. Like, there's not a lot of really attractive answers for, like, who now goes in and guards Kawhi Leonard. Like, a Warriors team that sort of was built on wing depth for so long. Now, like, that's really creaky. So if there's any issues with Iguodala's legs and with how, how he responds tomorrow, that could be a big concern. And, you know, then you could be staring down the barrel of O2. They do have two days in between. Yeah, there's time. There's right. time. Tomorrow, no practice at all. Mm -hmm. That's tomorrow uh, where certain people are. <laughs> right, yeah. We don't know when for you're us, listening it's today. to it. So that's Friday, no practice. And then Saturday, they'll have practice, but it'll be it'll be light. Right. And then Sunday is the game. So they do have a little bit of time there. But you mentioned that they played 11 guys. The Warriors played 11 guys. Drebko and McKinney and Cook each played eight or nine minutes. Sean Livingston had to go out there for, for 18. Kevon Looney got his usual allotment of 28. The other guy who played tonight was a guy I was surprised. Like I, I saw a Woj bomb uh push alert that said boogie was back yeah and that they were going to run boogie out there and he played eight minutes and i thought he looked rusty stiff sure not like himself like that didn't seem like he had a lot of lift i was actually kind of surprised that he came back yeah I, I think part of that is just the you know this is it's easy to forget because we've been watching him for so long this is his first postseason you know he had he had gotten all of one full postseason game before he got injured and this is his chance to be in the finals. It's his chance to compete. And so I think that was a big and important deal for him to, as soon as you can get back on the floor and you want to do that, the fact that he, he, you know, he only played eight minutes was only in those sort of early, you know, quick stints in the, mostly in the beginning of the second and beginning of fourth quarter and was of questionable value there. Like there was a, that trade-off of how much is he giving you on offense versus how much is he a liability on defense, especially as he sort of knocks off the rust and gets back to form. And he made some great passes. I know there was a couple of times where he got like Fred Van Vliet switched onto him and he just like sort of smushed him down into the lane to get to the free throw line. Things like that, you know, where that was the idea, like have this big guy to punish switches and to be able to create more offense uh, during your sort of fallow periods. But yeah, he looked, you know, step slow. I had quick hands, a couple of like, just, you know, deflections and steals and stuff like that. But uh, step slow on defense, they, they attacked and they felt pretty comfortable with it. I don't think those minutes were why Golden State lost the game. Oh, no, but no, but, no. but you, you, what you're hoping for by re-injecting a player of that caliber into your offense is not just like, can we stay even in those minutes? You need those to be impact minutes. Right. And they didn't get that tonight. Yeah, it's, uh, look, it wasn't one of the Warriors' best games, but as you mentioned, uh, they've been behind before and they generally find a way to win because of the Warriors. And it's like kind of frustrating, although I'm, I'm hoping that it won't be an inevitability this year. I would like to see a fun and exciting series that goes you know, beyond just the Warriors stomping the Raptors after this first game. Certainly Toronto would like that to happen because I'm not sure if you guys heard any of that on the audio recording here, but they're setting off fireworks. And yes. People have been very excited in Toronto. And as I said, I was out in Jurassic Park and it was like 
blocks upon blocks that were shut down. Like Jurassic Park was at capacity, mm -hmm. but then the overflow was at capacity. And that entire street, Bremner, that runs from Scotiabank Arena along the river, parallel to the river or the lake rather, all the way down to the Rogers Center, it was packed with wow. people. And they had video screens up. And yep. like you and I have been here for a couple of days and we have been out in the town and we were talking to people and right. they're really enjoying this. Totally. I mean, and, and it, it's it's really with no disrespect to the people of Cleveland or Cavaliers fans, I think there, there's something sort of infectious about seeing, being a new fan base, getting the opportunity, you know, getting like first time in the 24 year history of the Raptors that they've made it this far. There's fans who they, you know, we were talking to people and they were like, I literally my whole life has Their been, whole life. has been, you know, I'm a fan of this team and I haven't seen them make it this far. So there's that, that, that sense of really sort of like appreciation for what has already been accomplished and a sense that why should we stop now? It, it's time to get greedy. It's time to believe. And I think that's the thing, you know, Clay Thompson mentioned this, Steve Kerr mentioned this. There's a sense that because they only played twice during the regular season, both those meetings came by, I think, before Christmas. So, like, the way the teams look now is very different from the way they, they looked when they played. And there were guys in and out of the lineup. You know, Kawhi only played one game. Steph only played one game, yada, yada, yada. Both Kerr and Clay said, we don't really know this team. We know it was something, you know, we don't have a whole lot of familiarity with mm -hmm. the Raptors. Well, I think they better get familiar pretty quick because this is what the Raptors can do. They can be this good on defense. And if they get this kind of performance from Siakam, it unlocks everything else for everybody else and a different kind of offensive attack for them. And maybe you get OG back. Like, you don't know. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, OG Ananobi, who is a, a player that he's a valuable piece of when they want to go get small. There was a, something I wrote in the preview, and I forget the exact number of possessions now, but something like 400 or so possessions this year where they played with Siakam at center. And it's like the smallest they can get in Toronto and they, with while still having like offensive component and the ability to have multiple guys that can switch. And more than half of those possessions came with Ananobi at the four. So he's a guy like, because he's 6'8", 230, tough, strong, can defend every position, can rebound the ball, can get out in transition. Like he opens the door for them being able to get as small as they want to because he kind of lets them be big and small at the same time. He hasn't played at all in the postseason, had emergency appendectomy right before the start of the playoffs. And now it's like the original expectation was maybe he'd be ready in the middle of the series. And I think now the expectation is that he might be active for game two. So how much you can expect, same thing with Boogie, right? How much you can expect from somebody yeah. after six or seven weeks on the shelf remains to be seen. But if the way the series is tilting, Iguodala is, you know, limited or hampered in any way, and there's less depth on Golden State, and Toronto's only going to get deeper, I mean, things can get awfully interesting here. The vibe in the city about, like, the way that the whole playoffs have gone, you know, like, there's been so many moments where I counted the Raptors out, certainly, mm -hmm. and then they, like, rise from the dead. Well, and that's now, because you're a hater. I Right. I, I despise all. <laughs> Toronto is a lovely place. Don't do that to me, because <laughs> the people of Toronto are really wonderful. Everyone's been They're incredibly cool and so very nice. nice to yeah. us. We met many people. Uh, shouts to Brandon, who we talked to today right. in, the, in the park. Oh, and shouts uh, to, uh, is it Lance and Norma? Yes. Who, who we, we saw at dinner last night. We saw at dinner. They were sitting next to us, big fans of The Ringer and They uh, recognize you by your voice from the Ringer Dulcet Tones, yeah. But they're not from Toronto. They're Warriors fans. That's so I right. think that they're probably less excited by this than everybody else. But well, like, maybe yeah, maybe the shout out brings lifts your spirits. Lifts, lifts their spirits. But like like that vibe, like not generally I tend to be pretty cynical when it comes to sports and outcomes yeah. and like covering sports kind of beats the fandom out of you. Sure. But there are moments in like when Cleveland, when the Cavaliers broke through after 50 years of not winning any titles across yeah, all any sports, sport, right? Like that was a fun moment when the Eagles beat, uh, what's that team in New England? Oh, right. They beat the Patriots. <laughs> and it was like a glorious moment because they had never won a Super Bowl. And it was like, 
this point of civic pride. Sure. And like, it feels similar here in Toronto, right? I don't know that they'll go on and win a title, mm-hmm. but just for them to get this far and then to take this first game, there's like really, and there's more fireworks going off and it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's very late here and people are having a great time. So good for Toronto. They take game one. I'd like to see them make it a series and, and continue it. But for right now, it feels like they're they're really enjoying themselves. Absolutely. And I think, so right now it's, yeah, there's that feeling of they're enjoying themselves and maybe it's like playing with house money a little bit. People didn't expect we would get this far and here we are, but they take game two and they go up 2-0. That's a conversation. That's like the narrative shifts. Now Golden State has pressure on it. Uh, well, yeah, what happens with Durant? Is he going to be able to come back? You know, what do they do if they can't get Durant back and they still can't get anybody else going, you know, going offensively besides Steph? And, you know, Clay is sort of trick-or-treat with the shot and all those sorts of things. There suddenly become a lot of questions. And the interesting shift there will be, it'll be fun if Toronto makes it a series when that starts shifting to, wait, are the Warriors really in trouble here? I, I wonder how quickly that starts. Now, I mean, you know, you know, momentum's only as good as tomorrow's starting pitcher, right? Like that's right. sort of the idea. So we'll see, you know, maybe with uh, four quarters of experience of how Toronto guarded them and what they were able to do offensively to get out in transition, Golden State comes back with a better game plan, a little sharper, uh, a little tighter uh, handle, not throwing the ball away, that kind of stuff in game two. Maybe it's a different story and, we, and they sort of get the split that many of us projected they would get. But for right now, I think, you know, if you're Toronto coming out of this game, you did what you were supposed to do. And not only did that, but like you sort of made your presence felt in, mm-hmm. in the series. And I think it's only going to get louder. It's only going to get more raucous. It's only going to get more excited because now fans know the Raptors can do that. If they go up 2-0, all the tall boys in poutine and all of Toronto, they'll be so <laughs> excited. They're going to celebrate their heads off. Uh, this is good. This was fun. I'm going to see you for the rest of the series. We're going to continue <laughs> to do this. Uh, it's like, you have to go right. I, I have do. to go right. So let's go right. Dan yes. Devine, you killed it. We will be back with Dan in the future. Dan, thank you. Thank you. All right, we thank Dan Devine. We thank you for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to read all of our NBA Finals content on the ringer.com. Check out The Mismatch. Check out Corner 3 and Group Chat in your Ringer NBA show feed. Thank you again to Dan. He and I will be back shortly. Isaac will be back. We're all going to be back. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.